National Security This Week, a weekly look at issues affecting America's security concerns, is brought to you by the Cybersecurity Summit. Check out their website at cybersecuritysummit.org for a list of their upcoming webinar series. And now, your host, John Olson. Good morning, everyone. It's Wednesday, and you've joined us for this edition of National Security This Week. We get together every Wednesday at 9 a.m. to discuss national security. We're fortunate enough to be joined by guests from our local area, from around Minnesota, and from across the nation to help us learn about national security. Today, we're continuing our exploration of the U.S. intelligence community, and we'll be taking a deep dive into one of the main intelligence agencies inside the Department of Defense and an agency vital for the success of the entire U.S. intelligence community and for American policymakers. Most Americans have probably heard of the Central Intelligence Agency, or CIA, uh, the Defense Intelligence Agency, also known as DIA, and certainly the National Security Agency, or NSA. But many people have no idea there's another major intelligence agency that's critical to so many aspects of American national security. That intelligence agency is the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, or NGA. Our guest today is Vice Admiral Trey Whitworth, who currently leads the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Vice Admiral Whitworth is the eighth director of NGA. He leads and directs NGA under the authorities of the Secretary of Defense and Director of National Intelligence. He became NGA's director on June 3rd of 2022. Vice Admiral Whitworth is a 1989 graduate of Duke University, where he earned a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science. He also holds a Master of Arts in National Security Studies from Georgetown University, as well as a diploma from the Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island. Vice Admiral Whitworth has commanded the Joint Intelligence Center at Central Command, the Navy Element of U.S. Central Command, and the Kennedy Irregular Warfare Center at ONI, the Office of Naval Intelligence. Whitworth's senior operational tours include serving as the Director of Intelligence for the Joint Staff, for U.S. Africa Command, for Joint Special Operations Command, and for the Maritime Operations Center for the U.S. Navy's Fifth Fleet. Vice Admiral Whitworth's shore tours include the National Security Agency, U.S. Central Command, serving as a Navy Federal Executive Fellow to the American Enterprise Institute, and duty in the White House Situation Room. You know, as I read through his bio getting ready for this show, I realized today's guest is one of those career naval intelligence officers who has literally done it all, and we're lucky to have him with us today. Vice Admiral Trey Whitworth, welcome to National Security This Week. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Appreciate the invitation. Looks like you're sitting in a conference room there at NGA. Is that right? Sure am. I'm actually in the bowels of NGA, um, which is typically a very bright uh atrium it's a interesting juxtaposition compared to the dark environments where people are looking at imagery but we've got a, a very wonderful building here and this is one of the spots that embraces unclassed technology allowing us to have a zoom meeting with you so it's kind of neat yeah that's one thing about all the intelligence agencies is we mostly operate inside uh, skiffs sensitive compartment and information facilities, top secret spaces that don't really see the light of day too much. Uh, so having an opportunity to have a little sunlight during your day is a great thing. Uh, Admiral, we have a lot of ground to cover this morning. Uh, I'd like to spend a little bit of time here at the start with uh, a little more on your personal background. Uh, you were commissioned in the U.S. Navy after graduating from Duke. Uh, what was it about the field of intelligence that attracted you to this career path? So I, I had a interest in political science, and that was something that I majored in at Duke. But we weren't necessarily supposed to do things like intelligence. We were supposed to you know, be a newly commissioned officer and either take command of ships one day or uh, to fly airplanes or to do something with their hands, be a Marine, something like that. And 
this was a, um, a, I would say, one of those episodes in life that's kind of a turning point, a threshold. My, my eyesight was not what it was supposed to be to actually be either a pilot or even a naval flight officer. Uh, I had issues with some depth perception issues and so forth. And so I had to find plan B and, uh, and doing some research, having interest in international politics and human behaviors, warning uh, and putting the pieces of a puzzle together, communicating and making a difference. As I started looking at the intelligence field, it's, it dawned on me that it's, it should have been I guess my primary uh, ambition and went for it. And I think I'm going to make it a career. <laughs> well, okay. That's, that's fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so Admiral, with, uh, let's go ahead and discuss the national geospatial intelligence agency, also known as NGA. Uh, could you give our listeners a kind of an overview of what the agency does and, and what role it plays in the broader U S intelligence community? Sure. If there's one thing that, we are charged with its understanding and being responsible for the visual domain. So think imagery, think full motion video, think things that are uh, maybe even handheld imagery that are posted and need to be validated through either social media or unclassified ways. So many different ways you can get an image or an individual who is trained to discern whether we've got something that's truthful or something that's not truthful. Uh, put it in context with history. And this is where having the corporate knowledge of, and we're largely civilian, the corporate knowledge of a civilian workforce that's been here in some cases for decades. I literally just signed a certificate the other day for someone who has been serving this country for 45 years. Wow. Uh, when they can reach back and provide the historic context and say, this is out of norm, this is anomalous, or this is actually very normal. Uh, that's very powerful. And that's, I would like to say, the essence of what we do here. I should also mention, and I know we'll go into this probably later in the, uh, in the show, we are charged with also understanding the world. And that also means from a safety perspective. So there is legislation. One of the few things we're legislated to do is to provide some safety and navigation. And that's, uh, as we go into our motto, when we say show the way, that's largely what we're talking about. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, and where does NGA sit within the broader U.S. intelligence community? So can you sort of give our listeners a sort of a sense of, uh, you know, where you fit into the broader intel community structure? Sure. We are a member of the IC, make no mistake. We are an intelligence agency. We also, though, are a combat support agency. And uh, so we have really two entities for whom we work. We work for, and I work for, the Director of National Intelligence, and that's as an, a member of the IC, the intelligence community. And we work for the Secretary of Defense, delegated to the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security. So when I send an email with an update or something that's new happening in the world, it will go to those two individuals on the two lines. So you report to both uh, through through Ron Moultrie up to the uh, Secretary of Defense and then directly to the Director of National Intelligence. That's right. And that doesn't stop who el whom else we might disseminate, especially pressing issues to. Um, we are 
very aware of our need to be flat and fast in our communications with the Secretary of Defense himself, with the Chairman himself, uh, with uh, the combatant commanders, so all of those commanders out in the field who have operational control of forces uh, and other agencies, frankly, as they try to get their job done. And we'll talk about how far reaching those responsibilities get, especially when you're talking about uh, protections here in the homeland and even humanitarian conditions affecting the homeland or otherwise. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I do want to follow up on that in a little, in a little while. Yeah, you mentioned you're a combat support agency uh, directly supporting the combatant commanders, the theater combatant commanders around the world. Uh, is that uh, is that sort of, I mean, from your perspective as a, as a career naval intelligence officer, is that where you feel the primary mission is for NGA is to support men and women in combat around the world? Or in harm's way, anyway. It's hard not to be drawn to that. Uh, as a as a member of the armed forces, a current member of the navy, it's hard not to be drawn to those COCOMs as one of your primary customers. I'd like to say though that we support warfighters and decision makers, and that is uh, really the perfect balance of these two people for whom I work. When you talk about the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security and the Director of National Intelligence, uh, just saying warfighters and uh, and decision makers kind of wraps it up. All right. Uh, for our audience, uh, this is National Security This Week, and I'm your host, John Olson. Our guest today is U.S. Navy Vice Admiral Trey Whitworth, Director of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, and we're discussing the role of NGA in the U.S. intelligence community. We're sponsored by the Cybersecurity Summit. Learn more at www.cybersecuritysummit.org. So, Admiral Whitworth, you're the eighth director of NGA, which tells me that the agency hasn't really been around all that long uh, when you look at the other intelligence agencies across the community. Uh, and I know NGA was uh, consolidated from a number of different uh, imagery capabilities. Uh, could you talk a bit about the agency's creation and how the agency has transformed since its earliest days? Sure. It's an interesting history, and you're right. The word geospatial and its integration in the nomenclature of NGA is relatively uh, that actually didn't occur until 2008. Understanding our roots, though, is important uh, because they're deeper roots than that. Because imagery has been around as a, as a contributor to intelligence for decades. Uh, and from a formal perspective and a nomenclature perspective, there was an entity called the National Photographic Interpretation Center on the auspices of CIA. That was something that was important in the 50s, moving into especially the period uh, and some, I would say, some really important things that occurred uh, with the Cuban Missile Crisis. But we also had a separate entity, in some cases, geodetic surveys that were occurring for decades uh, coming out of the World War II period, uh, where we knew we needed to understand the world and know the specificity of points on this earth, leading to the creation of the Defense Mapping Agency. And these two worlds, kind of the imagery world and the survey slash mapping world existed in parallel. They were not necessarily united. And that created uh, some stresses, especially as we got into the period of the 1990s. And we saw, and we literally saw after action reports of the Gulf War, where we needed to do a better job of consolidation. We tried in 1996 by founding something called NEMA, the National Imagery and Mapping Agency. But even that name, uh, intimated that there's still a difference between imagery and mapping, and we needed some unity. And I give 
a lot of people credit. I would think that General uh, Clapper certainly was instrumental in the name. Uh, I think some of the unification talk also from Keith Hall, the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence in that time frame. And we ultimately decided, yes, we need to have geoint be a thing, Geo geospatial intelligence and a national geospatial intelligence agency be a thing. So it, we were renamed in 2004 and then geoint in 2008 literally became, instead of just a footnote and a contributor of intelligence, it became its own intelligence discipline. It is, I am literally a functional manager for GON for the Director of National Intelligence. And the facility that, uh, that NGA sits in uh, out there in uh, Virginia, that's a relatively new facility as well, I think less than 20 years old, is that right? That's correct. Um, and a lot of people will gravitate to this building in Springfield. We have about 9,000 people who work here. It's a mighty building. It's actually, I think, the third largest federal building. So behind the Pentagon and the Reagan Center downtown. A lot of people don't realize that. When you step in, it's very, as I mentioned before, very bright, a lot of glass, uh, and it's a wonderful place to work. Um, it's the people inside who make the difference. And I always point that out. When I, when I walk in with somebody who hasn't seen this building, I, I point out it's about the people here, and then we, and we, we end up showing them how much of a difference they make. But we have other buildings and we have other people uh, in, our, in our workforce. Uh, St. Louis is a major hub and we'll talk about St. Louis probably later in the broadcast. And then we have people who are at all of those COCOMs and those combat support agencies doing the work that's at that last tactical, getting closer to that last tactical mile in support, especially of war fighting efforts. And that's over a thousand people who are spread around the world. Uh, I understand that uh, that you recently changed the NGA motto uh, to sort of guide the mission. Uh, what what led you to that decision, and what is the new motto? We did, and for short, I'll go ahead and give you the the motto. So, know the world, show the way, from seabed to space. That's the motto, and. We did this after a lot of thought about our former motto. I won't go into that, but it was it was very similar, but the. The motto used to, if you were new to the agency and you looked at the old motto, you'd think we were just looking down at the Earth, that we only cared about the terrestrial, we only cared about the rock itself. And in this day and age, it's important to say it's actually underneath the sea in some cases, and it's actually going up into space. And so adding from seabed to space, uh, we thought was very important for whether it's our, as I, as I like to call them, and I'm trained by the chairman in this regard, our board of directors, the Congress, or if it's the American populace, uh, or if it's a, maybe an international partner who needs their own capability and they want to understand what they should be doing, the motto is important. It's a very quick way to communicate our mission. It really is a mission statement. Uh, I, I think it really comprehensively directs everybody in the organization and even outside the organization to understand exactly what it is you do. Uh, I, I like the fact that you're embracing space. Uh, I've had a couple of uh, shows this past year on U.S. Space Command, space policy, space operations, uh, the whole deal. Uh, and a lot of people there are pretty excited about uh, just establishing their, their, their very first dedicated intelligence agency uh, to support uh, space command, space operations, etc. Uh, so the fact that NGA is already tooling, uh, preparing for support to space operations is a, is a great thing. Uh, Admiral Whitworth, I want to get technical for a little bit. Uh, you're going to have to break it down for us, for the for all the listeners here. 
What exactly is geospatial intelligence? How is it used uh, in the military? How is it used for national security decision-making, for things like navigation? Uh, Perhaps you could talk a bit about how the data and the information that goes into geospatial intelligence is collected and processed and how the finished uh, products are are made and distributed. Uh, Obviously, I'm not asking you to talk about anything that's classified, uh, but the process here, I think, is going to be pretty fascinating for people to hear uh, for what you can share. Now, this is uh, this is the essence of, uh, of uh, probably our discussion about this agency. And so it's not a secret anymore that the country has satellites. And so <laughs> we actually get satellite imagery as one of our primary mechanisms to to evaluate what's going on. In the world. So that's really important. Uh, but with the onset of uh, social media and the onset of a lot of unclassified mechanisms, we too get a lot of a lot of data through through that. And that, as you know, uh, there are varying degrees of credibility, right? And so we become an arbiter sometimes of that type of credibility. Um, full motion video is also important. And I think that from a human behavioral perspective, that is, uh, and as we went through two decades of a really intense war against terrorism, the behavioral aspect of imagery was very important. And that was a key part of our tradecraft. So establishing the the tradecraft itself, the certification for an individual to come in and say, I know with certainty that what I'm saying is true, uh, is very powerful. And it's, uh, I would say, a privilege for us to be responsible for this domain of intelligence. So the idea here is to distinguish enemy from non-enemy, combatant from non-combatant, and as you mentioned, it's not just a, a, a terrestrial thing. There will also be responsibilities up in space. As this becomes a, a, a separate domain, there will still be responsibilities for the principle of distinction, being able to distinguish enemy from non-enemy behaviors and enemy from non-enemy, uh, or, or I should say uh, combatant from non-combatant equipment. And, and that's, that's going to be with us for some time. I've had this discussion with the Chief of Space Operations, and he agrees that there has to be a stable of people who are trained to know how to do it. Uh, I'd like to ask you, maybe give our listeners a few examples, uh, real-world examples, uh, if you can, of how NGAs, NGA supports the men and women in the front line in combat zones, maybe how you support national security decision-makers as they wrestle with these complex situations around the world. Uh, maybe even political leaders uh, as a result of natural disaster that it might have hit an area of the United States. We've had a lot of major floods uh, over the last uh, 10, 15 years from hurricanes and whatnot. Maybe if you could give us a couple of examples, real-world examples of how NGA has supported these three different areas, uh, I think our listeners would be fascinated by that. So let's start with warfighters and so this, this principle of distinction is one we've talked about already. I, I don't want to gloss over the, the kind of the show the way portion of our, of our responsibility. So every time that a ship moves from point A to point B or a brigade moves or a battalion or even a company or a squad, uh, they need to be assured that their data on that chart is correct. And that is the cartographic uh, responsibility that we've inherited here. And that is, that is very serious. Uh, we actually have uh, in the hundreds, I'll just say, uh, people in St. Louis who are responsible just for the approaches to thousands upon thousands of airfields. And 
and whether there's something that's 300 feet or higher that could impede the safety of an aircraft on approach. We're responsible for that. We codify that uh, with high periodicity revisitation rates of our products. That is a matter of life and death. And so it's very easy to move to the distinction issue in combat preparation, but I don't want to get gloss over the safety uh, responsibility for that warfighter. And that is something I would argue uh, is one of our proudest, uh, you know, kind of accomplishments here on a day-to-day -day basis. From a foundational intelligence perspective, knowing where everything is, the order of battle, we join with other entities like DIA who look at it more from a multi-end perspective, but we provide a huge amount of impact from a visual perspective as to the binary calls. Is the ship there? Is it not? Is the brigade there? Is it not? Uh, that's our that's our job on uh warning uh, oftentimes the absence of an indicator is the indicator you're looking for and that's where you know we excel so every single day if something is not where it's supposed to be it's anomalous we sound off saying this needs to be paid attention to and it generally will precipitate some other sort of collection or analysis and so from a warning perspective we're also i would say uh pivotal for this community. And then on the humanitarian piece, this is, I really appreciate your asking because it, it can get glossed over and it's very fulfilling for our people. If an agency asks us for assistance, uh, we, that is what we need uh, in terms of our authorities uh, to ensure we're not collecting against the United States or US entities or American entities improperly. If they say we need help because there's a hurricane coming in, we can do that. At that point, that's that's allowed by Title 50. And this just happened, it happens every year, especially in hurricane season. So we had our Hurricane Ida, but we knew it was coming in. We knew FEMA was probably gonna need help. And we already had uh, a group, two teams of individuals up to Oh, I'm sorry, not that. Ida was one. Ian was the big one. Okay, so I should correct that. Ian. Um, and we had these trailers that were already set up with our workstations, really good communications, really good printers, uh, and, uh, and waterproof map uh, kind of uh, paper, all ready to go, their own. They could literally stay in the trailers. They had their own power. They had their own diesel. But the big thing is we had 12 people ready to go. We sent six the day that Ian hit. We sent another six within a couple of days because they were making such an impact. And they were pumping out geospatial value for the search and rescue operations that were occurring in Fort Myers and in uh, the Florida area uh, with quite a bit of effect. And to have that type of capability was very powerful. We, we here at NGA, uh, this is a privilege that we get to help uh, situations that aren't just combat situations that uh, that can be very humanitarian. -like. So when you say uh, requests from other agencies, is it just federal government like FEMA, uh, or could a state uh, like the state of Florida ask you for that assistance? Uh, how, how does that work exactly for authorities uh, at NGA? Right. It, I, I think the, uh, the authority stipulates it would be a federal agency, but certainly uh, those requests from states would through uh, some other agency. And how about uh, how about a broader or, or uh, partner nations, uh, friendly nations around the world? 
uh, say there's a massive uh, earthquake in Haiti, uh, are, are you able to immediately provide assistance to the Haitian government, or, or is that sort of an intelligence community uh, provided through state, and state gives that assistance? How, how does that work? Our liaison with state is extremely tight, and so uh, we would like to think, and I can almost assure you, that we're already looking and already producing products that would be helpful to our diplomats and to potential peacekeeping, or I, would, I should just say humanitarian operations uh, that could be in the offing in the future. And something like the floods of Pakistan or a major earthquake in, in Haiti, we're already doing the products that help inform some of the decisions that might go into American so even though you're a U.S. intelligence agency uh, designed primarily to support policymakers and warfighters, there's a whole range of things that you are actually uh, legislatively approved to support, uh, whether it be domestically here in the U.S. or, or humanitarian assistance around the world, uh, et cetera. That, that, that is a great thing to hear about a U.S. intelligence agency able to participate in those things. Uh, Admiral, we need to take uh, just a short uh, commercial break. Uh, to identify our sponsor, the Cybersecurity Summit. I'll be back with you in, in just a moment. National Security This Week is sponsored by the Cybersecurity Summit. The Cybersecurity Summit brings together cyber experts from industry, academia, and all levels of government to explore challenges, solutions, and opportunities in the cyber arena. The three-day summit includes speakers, workshops, discussions about advancing a cyber career, and keynote addresses by top leaders from across the cyber community. Learn more at cybersecuritysummit.org. And we're back with uh, National Security This Week. Admiral, when you and I were young junior officers, I'm sure you heard about the concept called climate change. <laughs> uh, but I don't think either one of us back then, maybe in the early 90s, really grasped the importance of what that term might mean by the time we reached our, our mid-50s. Uh, what kind of work is NGA doing to assess the impacts of climate change? Uh, and obviously, climate change, we know, is going to destabilize things around the world. There's got to be some impacts there. Uh, how does NGA support policymakers in crafting strategies to deal with the impacts of climate change? Uh, to go to this question, which I think is so important, you're right. There was a time in our lives where we probably thought, this is too political. I can't talk about something like that. And the very cool thing about NGA is we're just about the data. It's a just the facts approach around here. And because we're responsible for it, that's part of what we do. And now uh, it's a duty to talk about climate change because the data is pointing to the fact it's happening. Uh, there is a new compilation, frankly, of our data that's very powerful. It's an atlas of an ever-changing earth that is going around, I'd say, I, I hope, most of the science museums of the United States right now, teaching a lot of people, taking our measurements, applying really strong computing and graphics power to show what's happening at both poles of the earth, uh, especially underneath uh, those ice layers. We're responsible not only for measurements, but also for the gravitational pull and what happens to water. Uh, so mean sea level is something that we're responsible for establishing standards. And so for the data that goes into charts on MSL, mean sea level, uh, yeah, we have a role here. And yes, there is change occurring. Uh, and uh, so it's a duty literally for us to get good data to, uh, to the world. 
And I, I have to imagine that some of the work that you do uh, on this issue of climate change, you're partnering pretty closely with NASA, uh, NOAA, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, probably many other partners as well. Are they relying exactly. heavily on your uh, on your expertise at uh, NGA to support their science? Exactly right. You'll find that there are international partners who feel very strongly about this issue. Uh, and then the academic partners, uh, frankly, will have the lead because it's about understanding and research. Can you talk a little bit about the link between sort of advancing technology uh, in the cyber arena, you know, the growing power of machine learning? We, we of, often hear that referred to as artificial intelligence, but it's really, so far anyway, still just machine learning, uh, that nexus between machine learning and geoint. Uh, one of the critical issues with modern-day technical collection, whether it's uh, SIGINT or, or what you do there, GEOINT, is the volume of data that is collected uh, constantly, and it all has to be processed. Uh, for GEOINT, how important is this, uh, this new, you know, quote-unquote, AI capability in helping NGA analysts to quickly find changes or anomalies from, from baseline GEOINT so they can more f effectively identify challenges or opportunities for policymakers and combat leaders? It's going to be critical, um, and I think it's too strong to say existential, but I could see where one day it may even be existential for this agency. And, and here's where I'm going here. I'll offer just, a, just for our listeners who deal with email every day, when you want to send a picture, you can either send it as a kind of a flat file that you can't expand and it's relatively small, or you can send it as a really detailed file with a lot of pixels uh, that allows you to zoom in. And I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. And if it's that latter category, that's a huge file. So imagine that now on a global perspective and our responsibilities for always zooming in and always understanding. You get an idea of the amount of data this place is dealing with. So take the situation we have now, which is a really healthy constellation of collection and apply uh, Moore's law and innovation and creativity. And really, uh, thanks to the Congress, really, uh, I would say good budgets for an exponential growth and sensors. And apply that, again, that reality of all those files and all that data that ultimately need to be understood and, and at some point reviewed. And we will need something other than a human to help us with the triage process, the queuing process. And that's what's exciting about the future. I think that the Undersecretary of Intelligence and Security already sees a role for NGA here. I won't get ahead of the budget, but I would predict that once we do have a budget, uh, we will probably be responsible for the imagery portions, the geoint portions, of a project known as MAPE, uh, which will prioritize machine learning first and ultimately growth into artificial intelligence to allow us that very efficient uh, way of ensuring that humans team with machines in this existential rise in data. If I could, Admiral, I'd like to sort of consolidate a number of the questions that I've just asked you kind of run through a scenario, and, and maybe you can tell me if I have this right, uh, which will help our listeners to understand. Uh, you've talked about the fact that we have satellites in orbit that collect imagery. Uh, we know that. Uh, there's electro-optic imagery, like you and I can see each other on Zoom right now. It's what our eyes can see. But there's also things like hyperspectral and multispectral imagery. 
Uh, there's lots of science that's uh, that's talked about that on on Nova and other TV shows, uh, public broadcasting, showing the power of this uh, this multispectral hyperspectral imagery. So let's take uh, let's take an imagery shot from space. Uh, let's say it's maybe hyperspectral or multispectral, uh, and we're talking about uh, the climate change issue. Uh, you're looking for changes from baseline. You mentioned at the poles that there's changes in the, the amount of ice pack. Uh, Antarctica is a critical example of that. Uh, we know that there's an enormous amount of ice stored on land in glaciers on Antarctica. Uh, so the imagery that's coming in, the geo, the geo, geo int, geo and spatial intelligence that's coming down from the satellites uh, to NGA eventually and getting processed uh, through your uh, AI <laughs> uh, is now providing some really important information to policymakers. Is that is that roughly how the system works? Uh, and I'm sure that the AI helps the humans understand what it is they're seeing so that they can annotate that imagery and provide really, really important information for policymakers uh, to try and make decisions about the future. Is that is that a good way to summarize it? I don't know if I can overpromise AI's impact on climate change. Like I can probably try to at least promise uh, a real warfighting advantage mm -hmm. of going through so much data to know if we have a warning problem or we have something that is uh, a potential readiness problem. Um, and so I, I think that I would veer towards our applications are going to be more towards the uh, combat support agency side of our brain. Uh, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't throw out the humanitarian aspect, uh, and I'll give you an example on that in a second, and I wouldn't throw out the climate change either because the, it is vast amounts of data and we will need more than just our humans uh, to help us in this regard. Computational power will be very helpful. It already is. Uh, but uh, on, on like humanitarian, there were some aspects, some nascent AI approaches used during uh, Hurricane uh, Ida that, um, or Ian, uh, sorry, yeah, we should have named the so close uh, in the same uh, month or so. Uh, but uh, we actually did some crowdsourcing and some uh, some AI uh, research. Uh, you know, when we needed uh, to for speed, frankly, to to have an impact on the recovery efforts there in, uh, in Florida. I can tell you this, uh, Admiral, I teach a course uh, somewhat frequently at uh, Carleton College. It's an overview course on the U.S. intelligence community. And there's always a core group of my students who are absolutely fascinated by the work that is done at NGA. And they, they, they just hunger for knowledge on it. I point them in the direction of your website, and, and they are amazed at what it is that, uh, that you produce there. Uh, for our audience, you're listening to KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1. We're broadcasting out of Northfield, Minnesota. This is National Security This Week, and I'm your host, John Olson. Our guest today is U.S. Navy Vice Admiral Trey Whitworth, Director of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, and we're discussing the role of NGA in the U.S. intelligence community and Department of Defense. We're sponsored by the Cybersecurity Summit. Learn more at www.cybersecuritysummit.org. Uh, so, Admiral, we have a, a good bit of time left. Uh, I hope we can really dive into this uh, next segment. Uh, can you talk about the importance of all the commercial, academic, and international partners that NGA has in this GEOINT endeavor? So commercial, especially, we'll start there because uh, there's a tendency for the intelligence officer and me to say, I just want it all. <laughs> I just want, I want as much as possible, um, realizing I'm creating uh, an embarrassment of riches and in some cases, a new crisis of having too much. 
Uh, so it can be a blessing. It can be a curse. But at, at its core, I, I tend to want it all. Uh, and I think we're all the same way in the intelligence community. We want more. Uh, commercial brings, uh, uh, you know, the capacity for really uh, increasing the amount of data that we can review at places that maybe we, we didn't necessarily prioritize for national assets, and that's important. Secondly, sometimes you need the ability to tell the tale, and communication is a big part of this business, but you don't necessarily want to tell a tale that would give up a really exquisite source. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is a wonderful aspect of commercial intelligence, uh, commercial collection uh, that uh, that is we're still uh, figuring out as a nation. And so for people in this business, uh, I think this is a form of service that's really important. It is helping protect some other sources, and that's important. So um, on the academic side, um, I could go into, uh, as we have, our role in uh, understanding the earth is, is one where we're very closely aligned with the academic community. Uh, we have some of the best PhDs in geodesy, geomatics, et cetera, but we always need more. And so for people who are interested in that line of work, you can teach perhaps, but you might also be able to affect the security of the United States by working at NGA. And then I would offer that, um, there's a, there's a bit of a civic uh, and academic and governmental uh, trilogy here, uh, kind of uh, three uh, legs of a stool that are working really well. And I want to give one example if you've got an opportunity to talk about St. Louis. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you want to go ahead and talk about St. Louis now, this is a great opportunity. I mentioned St. Louis uh, because you know, I think it's a bit of a beacon on the hill for a, a lot of, uh, of other potential initiatives. In St. Louis, we have 3,100 people who work at what we call Second Street. That's not far from the Mississippi River. It's in downtown. And then we have another 550, 600 people who work at a place called Arnold, Missouri. And that's great. They are all making a great impact. But uh, the building near the Mississippi is old, and we have needed a new place for them to work. Uh, this was identified and budgeted uh, years ago. And it will culminate in 2025 with the new building and 2026 when we actually put our folks in this new building. And what's important here is where it's going to be placed. It's going to be in an area called Northside. And if anyone's from St. Louis, they probably represent uh, Northside as one of the more challenged areas of the city. It's a bit underrepresented, under-resourced. Uh, and they, they need something like this to be a catalyst, frankly, for, uh, for their community. And likewise, we want to be good neighbors. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time that I've seen where a governmental initiative like a new building becomes a rallying point for what else does, this, does the city uh, need? And obviously, we, we start talking about people and the investment of young people, especially in academia. So with uh, really good collaboration between civic leaders, some philanthropists, and most importantly, academia. Uh, there are now eight universities uh, that comprise uh, a center known as the Taylor Geospatial Intelligence uh, Taylor Geospatial uh, Center uh, at St. Louis University. These eight universities would have ordinarily been competitors, and they're collaborators on this issue of geospatial science and intelligence formation, I'll just say intelligence formation. And so there will be 
significant scholarships available for people who want to apply themselves to STEM and especially the study of the earth, geomatics, ge geodesy, et cetera. So for that child in Northside who sees people going in and out of a gated area in their neighborhood, if that child says, is there something important in there that I can do? Is there something that allows me a mechanism to work there in my own backyard and have an impact? The answer is yes. And I think that's very exciting. And I hope it represents something uh, that a lot of agencies as they build new buildings and they have centers of gravity and they have academic uh, intersections that they might uh, use as a model. We're gonna do the same thing here in Fairfax. We have 9,000 people who work in Fairfax and there are people in Fairfax who probably don't know what we do here. Yeah. Uh, your show is a great example of kind of the outreach where we're trying to tell people that there's impactful work here at NGA. And so we're going to, uh, I think, step up our relationship with the Board of Supervisors and the people of Fairfax. Uh, again, using the St. Louis model is a great example. I, I want to follow up on all three of these areas because I, I find it absolutely fascinating. Geoint and what the, the work at NGA sort of lends itself uh, to a lengthy discussion on this. Uh, you You have a number of commercial partners that support the work at NGA. Could you talk a little bit more about uh, some of those, who those partner companies are and, and the work that they do specifically for NGA? Is, is that something you can do? Uh, if not, that's okay. <laughs> we, can, we can pivot to some other, some other questions. So I would be incomplete. And so if I give you just a couple of examples, we need to have an understanding that they're just examples. Sure, just uh, examples. That's all we're looking for. And, and there's some big ones. Obviously, Esri is uh, is a foundational member of the uh, of the GIS uh, uh, kind of community, especially from an application and computational power perspective. Maxar is becoming a cornerstone within the commercial world on providing commercial imagery. There are others that are still important, and I'm trying very hard not to exclude, but I cannot be comprehensive. Sure. Planet and uh, and uh, some others. Um, so I'll stop there because uh, if I if I do any more, then somebody's going to be upset. I didn't mention that. I completely understand. Yeah, you know, for all, everybody who's been watching coverage of uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, since the end of February, we see a lot of uh, imagery on TV uh, that's all been provided uh, by Maxar. So that's pretty fascinating as a commercial uh, imagery company uh, able to provide that stuff to the news services. Uh, but I, I mean, I know from my background that there's a lot of partnerships that NGA has uh, with a broad range of uh, commercial entities that are out there to supplement what you do. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the difference in what the capabilities are, not specifically, but, you know, difference between what government is able to collect uh, on imagery and what the commercial side is? Is it, is it getting to the point where it's almost identical on the commercial side as opposed to what we, we've been able to do on the classified side? That's a good probing question. So, <laughs> so I, I would say that it's getting harder, uh, but uh, we're always going to, uh, as a Department of Defense and as an IC, we're always going to try to keep our edge. Yep. So we still have an edge. And, uh, and when we don't have an edge, uh, then I think we'll probably then admit it. But uh, I don't see that happening. We're going to always keep an edge. Yeah. That, that, that gives me a, a, a warm, fuzzy feeling inside as a retired intelligence officer myself <laughs> that we're going to stay there. And let's talk a little bit about the international partners that, uh, that NGA has. Are there other com countries out there 
with uh, with a sort of a similar, you know, or or near equivalent capability on the GeoInt uh, side of things, or is NGA sort of unique amongst intelligence agencies, amongst the the NATO allies and our other partners around the world? We try to be humble in this business, but I'm going to tell you that I don't have a near equivalent, um, uh, at least as our agency doesn't. Uh, but that doesn't mean we don't try to make people. Uh, become as close to our capability as possible. Uh, one of the things that I'm told to do and I'm responsible for is the allied uh, system for geospatial intelligence. And that's a wonderful responsibility because there's so much interest and so much need. And so we do work hard on uh, policies of releasability, working with the USDI and working with the DNI uh, and uh, constant uh, engagement with upstarts and some others that are farther along on refinement of tradecraft, uh, trying to ensure that uh, it's not a U.S. alone uh, kind of approach for at least uh, the democracies of the world who have alliances in common. Uh, and I think it's very powerful. And it is, uh, frankly, an enge- one of the engagement opportunities we have as the United States. And, and I, I do want to follow up on that a little bit more with uh, partners around the world. Uh, so we had uh, the Honorable Mr. Ronald Moultrie, the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security, on the show a few weeks back. Uh, we've had uh, the Director of the Defense Intelligence Agency on the show. Uh, we had the former Director of Operations for uh, NSA on the show. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about uh, intelligence, intelligence sharing, the situation with uh, Russia invading Ukraine, etc. Uh, all of them have talked about the fact that they'd never seen an administration so willing Uh, to share U.S. intelligence, classified intelligence, with our partners uh, all across uh, the NATO uh, alliance and and elsewhere to really build a cohesive uh, response to Russia ahead of, even ahead of the invasion. Uh, Can can you talk a little bit, I mean, this happened before you took over, but you've been deeply involved with it since you took over as director of NGA. But can you talk a little bit about the importance of the work that NGA is doing for U.S. policymakers and for the NATO alliance uh, in dealing with this situation where Russia has invaded Ukraine? I'm happy to talk about this, and I can actually do it with a little bit of a hands-on approach uh, and personal witness um, since I was the director for intelligence for the chairman prior prior to taking that job. That's right. I had that job for 37 months. So you may have seen some press about the big green map. And the best way I can, uh, I can offer our listeners uh, how everything culminates, whether it's multi-ent or geo-ent, everything culminates into something that's tangible to see that involves the, the territory itself that's, that's uh, you know, at stake. Uh, it's this big green map. And from the beginning of our indications that there was going to be a problem and a possible invasion all the way through the invasion and up until this day, we carry it everywhere. And I speak, I think, for the chairman and the secretary, a lot of people in the city who need that reminder of where everything is, what its disposition is, how it may have changed, where is that forward line of troops, et cetera. The big green map offers a a great service and it's inherently geospatial. So this gets to where we were in those fall and winter months prior to the invasion itself. And I would just offer that uh, you know, having evidence, geospatial evidence, 
that buildups were occurring, especially in that kind of late January, early February timeframe of last year. Um, that That is something uh, as an intelligence officer and a communicator who's trying to sound off urgency, not only to our own country, but frankly to the Ukrainians and to the members of NATO, that became increasingly compelling. And I think that the credibility of the United States, and I would hope uh, the credibility of NGA, uh, did well through that. And so when we talk about these things based on geospatial intelligence now, people tend to listen. Very important uh, piece of the puzzle, as we say in the intelligence world. Uh, Vice Admiral Woodworth, in the time we have left, we have about uh, 10 minutes left in the show. Can you please comment on the work that people at NGA are doing right now to support American national security interests around the world? I love this question. Uh, and I, I ask this question every single day that I ride the elevator up and down. Uh, if I'm in there with somebody, I was like, what do you do? Where do you work? And, and uh, do you enjoy it? And are you making an impact? And the answer is always, uh, yes, I feel I'm making an impact. I really enjoy it. So we have people who, uh, who come to, let's start with our 24 hour people because they tend to get overlooked and taken for granted sometimes. And uh, anyone who's been on watch, on duty, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about, but there are a lot of people who don't realize that people are awake in the middle of the night, basically going through data, going through images, going through indicators, multi-ent, et cetera, and looking for a possible problem and whether they need to wake someone up. That's the essence of the 24-7 watch standard. We have those people and, uh, and we have them at all of the COCOMs on all their watch floors trying to assess if we have a problem that merits waking up that combat commander, or in my case, if I need to wake up the DNI or I need to wake up the Secretary of Defense and the Chairman, et cetera. So I, I want to start with our watch standards, but we also have people who specialize, uh, who know exactly the piece of the terrain or of the earth that they're looking at. They've seen it over and over and they will look at it and they will, and they will say, nothing to see here, uh, the collection's not too good, or nothing to see here, this is exactly the way it was last year and the year before that, or this is anomalous, I must sound off, let me write a piece. So there are people that are doing that as we speak all over this building, all over St. Louis, and all over the, uh, the COCOMs, where we have our NGA support teams, otherwise known as NSTs. Then we have people who specialize in that show the way portion of our mission, who are cartographers, uh, who specialize in mapping, digitizing data for dissemination to the tactical edge, people who understand and are responsible for the standards of uh, the gravitational pull of the Earth, and people who are responsible, frankly, for the precision that we employ, whether it's for WGS-84, so the baseline basically for all of our maps in the U.S. military, or for the standards that we employ for the precision of our munitions and our targeting role. So if we are going to employ a geospatial uh, approach like through GPS, well, it has to be right. It has to be correct. And so the standards of tradecraft that allow us to get those aim points, as I'll say, um, that's, that's what we do. We establish those standards, those certifications, and we make sure that, uh, that the, the training that occurs throughout the workforce uh, is is up to par. Uh, so the people who are doing that uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, we have people who are responsible for uh, what happens on the seabed, 
uh, and understanding the seabed. And while we can't cover it all, we do prioritize aspects that really, really matter to U.S. national security. There are people at work right now looking at uh, portions of the seabed and looking at new data and establishing where you may have problems. I mentioned the aero responsibility and people who are looking at approaches to airfields with urban sprawl, you're going to have changes. And so you can't just take it for granted that a year ago you didn't have an obstruction at this particular airport. You always have to look. That's a full time job for a lot of our people. So I, I would just offer that, um, you know, uh, all of these people need good IT and they need good human resources and they need good collection and we have people that are dedicated to those areas and i don't want to gloss over what they're doing in this building as well because they're chief enablers frankly uh, for this very human process of reviewing imagery uh, i'll stop there if that gives you a good idea of what's happening in this building in st louis and at all of those nsts so it sounds like it's a well-oiled machine with uh, great members of the team across a wide variety of uh, areas uh, that are that are doing the great work every day. Uh, Vice Admiral Whitworth, uh, Director of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, how, how do you find the talent uh, that you need uh, to carry out the mission at, at NGA? If people listening to this show wanted to apply to NGA or if they had a, a grandkid or a kid who's uh, getting ready to head to college, uh, what, what kind of qualifications do they need? Or, or maybe they don't even need college. Uh, what is it that you're looking for uh, to hire people to support the work at NGA? If there's one thing that is a common denominator for all of our people, they have to want to make an impact on national security. If they have that, they will be qualified in some aspect of what we do here at NGA. There is a home for them here. Then there's some specialties. And I would offer that the United States is working on this uh, in terms of the number of specialists we have in geodesy, geomatics, and, uh, and some of the geospatial sciences and STEM. And so if they have those specialties, then we really want to talk to them and we really want them to be excited about making an impact here. But the first, you know, the absolute must have is at least that driving sense of wanting to be fulfilled and to have an impact on national security. And our resources for people finding out about opportunities, whether it might be through internships, uh, or through uh, academic partnerships. Uh, I would start with the website. You mentioned it, www.nga.mil. Uh, we also are on Twitter at NGA underscore GeoInt. Uh, and we also have sites on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, if you just do a search on NGA or on, or on the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, you will find a way to get a foot in the door and apply. Uh, if it's a youngster, maybe somebody in high school, start thinking about internships. Uh, we are now in a position to start talking about high school internships for people who are over 16. We have been asking for this for some time, and I'm very excited to say this is becoming a reality. And then certainly for over 18, full, uh, full clearance processes for people over 18, especially those uh, who either go to college or there are some uh, some disciplines here that would not even require someone to be in college. Uh, the, the world is their oyster, and I would just offer those resources for looking up uh, how to reach out to us. Those internships are both at uh, NGA headquarters there in Virginia and also in St. Louis, or uh, they, they are not at the combatant commands, correct? That's correct. Yeah. 
Unfortunately, we're, we're closing in on the end of the show today. Uh, Vice Admiral uh, Trey Whitworth, uh, Director of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, what, what do you have uh, on your calendar for the rest of the week? Anything significant that you want listeners to know about, or is it all top secret? <laughs> it's, all, it's all significant, uh, which is why this place is so compelling. Uh, I do hope that uh, someone out there listened and actually uh, learned a little something about this agency that's making a difference to uh, to our United States and to our national security. And I really appreciate the time that you've spent uh, with us uh, here at NGA, John. This has been great. Vice Admiral Trey Whitworth, thank you so much. Uh, you've taught us a great deal this morning. Uh, that closes this week's edition of uh, National Security This Week. I'm your host, John Olson. Thank you for joining us today. I look forward to sharing time with you again next Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Thank you for listening to National Security This Week. Have a great finish to your week, everyone. Take care. You've been listening to National Security This Week, a weekly look at issues. Bunker car in the garage or on the farm? Call Huber's Auto Parts in Faribault, 507-332-2300. Get the most cash for your old junker vehicle and have it taken away for free. Huber's Auto Parts in Faribault, 507-332-2300. The Quarterback Club in Northfield is top-notch for good food served fast. The Quarterback Club always has daily specials that can't be beat. Today, Wednesday, you can choose from one of three specials, a hot turkey commercial with mashed potatoes, gravy, and vegetable, or choose the shrimp dinner or the shrimp basket. The Quarterback Club has the best barbecue ribs, roasted chicken, and flame-broiled burgers in town. Always available for dine-in or take-out. For good food, good service, and good friends, it's the Quarterback Club in Northfield. 95.1 The One Strange.